Hi everyone, nice to see you. I'm Steph, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be preaching today on the subject of temptation. Yep. Uh, we are, we are uh, looking at the Passion Week, so the last week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. We've been looking at that um, for a few weeks now and we're going to follow that through right up to Lisa. So often you'll find... A church will, um, from the week before Easter, preach on Palm Sunday, which is when Jesus entered Jerusalem and everyone um, laid down the coats and and, and the branches. Uh, And then there's about a week before the crucifixion happens. And and normally you'll find that a church might, uh, the week before Easter, preach on that and then do some things over Easter weekend. What we wanted to do was we wanted to go a bit more in depth looking at that week and so we've started a lot earlier, um, but we will climax here with um, the resurrection um, message on Easter Sunday, where we will be here with Chalk Farm Baptist and New Life. They're going to join us Easter Sunday, so that's great. So um, we will climax with that. And uh, today we get to uh, a very uh, intense and pressurized part of the story in Luke chapter 22. Before we Read it. I want to just say a few things on the subject of temptation. You don't hear it spoken about loads. Um, firstly, out, even outside of the church, and there's, there's, there's a reason for that. The reason why it's not spoken about much outside of church, if it is, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. If it is, you'll notice that it's always kind of with like a glint in the eye and tongue-in-cheek, and it's kind of seen as a bit, a bit fun, um, now the reason for that is because our society has changed massively over the last 50 years or so where we've moved from an essentially uh, a moral understanding of life to a therapeutic understanding of life. Let me just explain what I mean by that. So um, a few decades ago, I guess mid-20th century, there would have been an, a sense of agreed absolutes, agreed right and wrong. And our understanding of our lives would have been deeply impacted by that. I'm not saying that everyone was good at all. But when people weren't good, they knew they weren't being good. Because the, the, the moral absolutes, the agreed sense of right and wrong, uh, which I guess came out of a, a Judeo-Christian ethic, Ten Commandments and the rest of it, was so ingrained in society that when, when, you, when you erred from those things, you knew about it. Um, and so talk of, um, talk of sin, which means missing the mark, and transgression, which means crossing over uh, lines that you know you shouldn't it was normal it was normal kind of speak it was normal vocabulary it was part of people's minds where we've moved now to more of a therapeutic understanding of life which is basically it's less about right and wrong it's much more about what makes what what works for my well-being does that make sense so you notice that the vocabulary of, of our society has changed massively now. So words like uh, well-being, wellness um, are absolutely central now. Um, now they're not, it's not, I'm not saying for a moment that the idea of well-being is wrong. But when, when it's not tethered to right and wrong, then what ends up happening is that people end up essentially start doing whatever seems right in their own eyes. Does that make sense? And so you end up with a society whereby... Um, Obviously, there's rules and laws, so things aren't, aren't anarchic. But generally speaking, the way people tend to live is more by a sense of internally within themselves what they believe is right, what they believe is wrong. And, 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 and often the way that is gauged is how, how do I feel about that rather than what does the Bible say or what does God say. So we've moved 
a lot away from that. So it's really to be expected that you don't hear much about it outside of the church. But you don't hear much about it inside the church. Now, why is that? Well, it's probably for two reasons. Number one, it's probably because um, one, of the, one of the battles the church constantly has is, is, is not to be squeezed into the shape of the world. So there's massive pressure. We're constantly breathing in this kind of different air, um, which doesn't really have much time for the idea of sin. In fact, you know, people really, really don't like that idea. So we're, we're constantly breathing that in. And so it kind of impacts even the way that we think, impacts the way we read the Bible, impacts Christian culture. It's just that's reality. It's, it's not great, but it's, it's the reality. We don't live in a vacuum. We live in an environment that's very, very different from the biblical environment. So it's probably partly that, but it's also probably partly this. It's uncomfortable talking about temptation. Talking about our struggles, the things that go on inside of us, where we feel genuinely pulled and drawn towards things that we know aren't good, it's actually uncomfortable talking about that. We all know but why talk about it? Do you know what I mean? Um, or, or we talk about it maybe over there, but, but in terms of actually letting it come close and talk about what does it look like to face temptation and what does it look like to overcome? What does it look like to win in the face of temptation? If you're not having those conversations, you won't be equipped when it comes. So I think today's passage is immensely helpful and it's one that we, that we must engage with and not be afraid of. So let's read together Luke chapter 22. Um, just come out from the Last Supper and, if, and, and, and um, Judas is now gone and he's, he's, he's out um, gathering the people that are going to come and arrest Jesus. And um, so verse 39 we're going to read together. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for this inside track this insight into this most extraordinary moment we feel so privileged to be let in on one of the one of the most extraordinary moments in human history in the whole of creation thank you for the amount of disclosure you give us the amount of revelation you give us. Thank you. You don't keep us on the outside. You draw us in and you show us. And we feel immensely privileged, Lord, to be around this story, particularly today. We are so grateful to you, Lord Jesus, for, for, for what you did here. We would not be here if you had not done this, what we read about today. 
we will be lost. This is absolutely immense. We just say thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's extraordinary salvation. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Every way. Now, there are two instances that are spoken about most vividly, but we know, because the Bible says he was tempted in every way, that all of the little temptations we face, he would have faced. Okay, All, all, all the little stuff. But this, this moment here and one other moment, you see the big moments of temptation. And they are particularly what I want to talk about today. All of us will have little moments of temptation here and there. Daily, most likely. Tempted to answer back to that person in that way that you know is not righteous. Tempted to look at that thing that you know is not going to do your soul any good. Tempted to help yourself to that which you know is not yours. Tempted to tread over that person to get ahead and you know. It's just the, 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 the stuff of life. Um, but there are two moments that are recorded in the life of Jesus where you can say he enters into temptation. Right? It's not that. It's something completely different. Firstly, it's the wilderness. After his baptism, this is the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. There was part, of, part of his journey was to, to attest at the beginning of his ministry. So he's about 30 years old. Um, three years before this moment now. Three and a half years. So, um, and it's at the start. And, and Satan comes and tries to get him to, to prove himself. Tries to get him to put himself in harm's way to, pr- to prove, God's protect, you know, prove God's protection. Tries to get him to bypass the suffering and go straight into glory. He, he tries to distract him and disrupt him from what he knows is his purpose. And we see Jesus wins through in an extraordinary way. He, he quotes scripture and he doesn't get drawn into dialogue with the enemy. But he, he, it is written. It is written. He stands on scripture and he wins. And, and then we're told and the devil left him until an opportune time. And then we get this moment. This moment is, it's a level above that. We're told, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you look at the way, the different ways that they describe this, we're told that there comes a point just before Jesus goes off and prays, it says he became deeply distressed. Now this is the man who's been able to face everything down up to this point. You've been following this amazing rabbi. Uh, he's been unintimidatable by anyone. He, he's, he, he calms storms. You know, everyone else is panicking. Seasoned fishermen are panicking and bailing out the, the boat. And he's asleep in the boat. He, and he wakes up and he calms it. This man is, you can't fluster him. He is extraordinary. And then, and then suddenly he, start, he, starts, he says things to them like, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Stay with me. I mean, at that point, you start going, what? This is, but this is Jesus. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. His prayers are always answered. And you, you're troubled because you begin to see, this is, he's going into something here that is beyond anything he's ever gone into. And he's deeply distressed by it. And hey, remain with me, he says. It's an interesting thing. He says, remain with me. He, 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 this, is, this, is, this, is, this is the son of God. This one knows intimacy with the Father, but he says to Peter, James, and John, remain with me. I want you with me. I know I know God, but I want you with me. 
See, God understands that we need each other. You think back to the Garden of Eden. Adam has this perfect relationship with God. And, and God's assessment is, it's not good for the man to be alone. You think, but he's got God. And we must be aware that we don't become super spiritual. I've got God, I'm fine. God's grace is enough. And it's true, his grace is enough. But in his grace, he provides us with one another. To, re- to, to, to reject one another is to reject the grace of God. You see, so there's this extraordinary moment. And Jesus, he, so, he, so, so the disciples are, they're, they're close enough that they can hear him. But he has to have some, some special prayer time with God. And, um, and here we see, we see Jesus in the middle of temptation. Jesus has entered into temptation. There will most likely be a time in your life where you enter into temptation. We'll always be, there'll always be little temptations that come and go. I'm not talking about that. This is something different. John Owen, who's a very famous um, Puritan author, he wrote this book called Temptation. It's a, a very easy to read. It's a, it's a most insightful book. He, he says this. He says, when referring to what it is to enter into a temptation, he says, um, it is an entrance into a powerful or frightening allurement. Entering into temptation does not mean that you have been conquered by it. It does not mean that you commit the sin or evil. A man may enter into temptation and yet not fall under temptation. God can make a way of escape. When a man has entered into temptation, God can break the snare, tread down Satan and make the soul more than a conqueror. Christ entered into temptation but was not in the least foiled by it. Okay, So you've got daily temptations then you've got entering into temptation and then you've got falling into sin you see the difference Jesus was tempted in every way like we are and Jesus had a couple of moments where he entered into temptation this being the most vivid he is in the garden and 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 he is distressed because he, he everything in him is crying out for something other than the will of God Everything in him is crying out for something other than the will of God. And um, I want us to just look at the prayer of Jesus because in it we see the key to winning in those seasons of powerful temptation. We've got to learn to talk about this. Because if I can tell you from personal experience, if you... It is deeply disorientating when this happens. Deeply disorientating. And there's a big part of you that says that you're saying to yourself, this shouldn't be happening. <laughs> this shouldn't be happening. Particularly if you can't point to any, any reason, any sin why you're, why you're there. You think, why is it like this? It's deeply disorientating. So we've got to understand it. And we've got to be able to find uh, victory in Christ through it. Now, before we get into thinking about ourselves, firstly, I want you to just see Jesus because what Jesus experiences here is unique. No one will experience this level of temptation because the stakes are higher here than in any other thing that's ever happened. If, if Satan, through temptation, can keep Jesus from the cross, then no one gets saved. All right. So if, if, if Jesus can be forced in this moment to turn tail and to run, then, then there is no plan B. Okay? This is God's plan for salvation, his son. 
Always has been, always will be. So the stakes, to say the stakes are high is a huge understatement. I, I don't know how to, I don't even know what words to, to put to it. I think, can you imagine this kind of pressure on you? You've started to taste something of the cup you're about to drink. This, this, this thing, the cup, if you go in the Old Testament, you'll realize it refers to the wrath of God. Drinking the cup to its dregs is where, it's basically the judgment of God. To drink the cup to its dregs means that you take into yourself the full judgment of God. Jesus, the sinless one, is about to take into himself the full judgment of God for the sins of the entire world, past, present and future. He's about to drink this and it's starting to dawn on him. He's starting to experience this sense of distress, this sense of the Father's judgment. And, and everything in him is utterly, he's beside himself. And I want us to just look at him and marvel at him because everything that we do today in our celebration, thanksgiving and joy and all of that is because of his faithfulness in this moment. We've we, we got to talk about our temptations, but you must never put them in the category of his because it's completely different. It is the same, but it's different. This is, this is it all hangs on this moment here. And I want us to just, to just look and marvel and wonder and say, isn't he lovely? Isn't he faithful? Isn't, doesn't he make your heart sing? Can't you trust your whole life into his hands? Yes. There was, there was literally nothing on him in terms of his own sin. He didn't do any sin. So he's, he's not even, there's not even any element. If this, is, this sense of the judgment of God, this sense of the wrath of God, it's completely alien to him. All he's ever known is the pleasure of God. All he's ever known is the delight of the Father from eternity. And suddenly he's starting to taste the judgment of God for the sins of the world. And it's horrific. Absolutely horrific. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin. To be sin. That we might become in him the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God today, church. But for one reason, Jesus became sin for us. What you are seeing here is extraordinary and unique. This is our saviour. This is love. Here is love. You want to know love? Here is love. This is the father giving over his son to judgment. This is the son willingly. So it's not, this is absolute unity in the Trinity. This is the father giving over the son to judgment that he might be able to draw us back to himself and still remain just. This is the son giving himself to that sentence out of love and devotion to the father and, and for us. This is the spirit empowering Jesus for this work. This is our God. This is our glorious God whom we worship. So whenever anyone says salvation is free, it's kind of got an asterisk by it. It's free for us. It's free for us because it's not some small print, it's some huge print which takes us here where you realize, no, it wasn't free. An immense price was paid for our free gift of salvation. We rest in the work of Jesus. And here he is. He is working for us. Sweating blood. I'm no, I'm no, med, uh, I'm no doctor, but apparently this, this condition can happen to someone in um, situations of hypertension. Actually, it can be, you sweat blood. He's under such immense pressure. And he's still thinking about his disciples. He doesn't want them to enter into temptation. 
So we, we, wonder, we wonder at you, Lord. We, we, we honour you. We absolutely honour you this morning. And uh, as we think about, Lord, our own journey and dealing with temptation, Lord, all of it, we just want to say, Lord, it is absolutely, your work is unparalleled. You're, you are immense. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you paid the price for our sin. We fall, we fail, we get it so wrong. Thank you that, thank you, that you bore our sins in your body on the tree. That we, as sheep who had gone astray, might be brought back to God. We are so grateful to you today. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I want us to look at the model of Jesus, what Jesus does. He says to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then, and then we see Jesus, he's in it. But what he does, he shows us how to be in it and, and, and not lose, not come up, not, not fall. Because um, it's that moment, you all know that moment when the temptation comes. and you, Sometimes you can see it and it's on the horizon and you're going, oh, oh no. Yeah? Oh no. And the pressure builds. And sometimes you've learned ways of heading off at the past and then it gets closer and closer. And then what then? What then? Let's look at what Jesus does. What do you do once you're in it? You think, I'm in it now. And, and, and there's, there's, there's two ways this can go. The easy way, which is to just succumb and then just try and make head or tail of what happened afterwards. But in, an, in, the mo- in this moment of pressure and temptation now, this feels like the easy way, just succumb. Or learning how to fight through. But sometimes we, 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 we don't know how to even start. If you are born again, the Bible says that God has given us all we need for life and godliness. All we need for life and godliness. It's an immense promise. And it says through, through the promises he's given us. The way we fight is that we say, God, you said, we take the promises of God. And we say, I'm believing your promise over and above what this temptation is promising me. Because this temptation is always promising you something. Whether it's to put your hand in the till. There's a promise going on there. If you have that money... Then, then, then your life's going to get a lot better. You'll be able to buy that. And then when you buy that, your life is going to be a lot better. There's a promise there. So when you put your hand in the till, there's a spiritual dynamic going on where you're saying, I believe that promise. When you click onto that pawn, it's either maybe it's because of pressure. You just feel totally under pressure. You need a quick, quick escape, quick bit of escapism. The promise is, do that, and, and, and that's going to relieve the pressure. What the, but yet, yes, because the devil's lies are never total lies. It's always truth, otherwise you'd never believe them. What, but there's another side to it. And the other side to it is the utter emptiness and shame that, ha- that follows hot on the heels, followed by a, 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 a powerful rewiring of the brain um, around the whole area of sex and, and, and consequences of that years down the line. Oh, I've got to tell you about that bit of the promise, yeah. There's promises, you see. It's always you put in faith and it's promising you something. That'll make you go, yeah, okay, that's how it works. God promises us other things. Who do we believe? It's as, it's as gutsy as that. Who do, I, who do I really believe? Who do I really believe right now? You know, it's easy to when it's going great, but right now when the pressure's on, who do I believe? Wow. Well, let's look at Jesus. He's in the garden. The temptation's coming on strong. First thing is his father. He knows who he is. He's the son of God. The Bible says that through faith in Christ Jesus, we are sons of God. And so it's so tempting when, when the temptation comes along to you move away from God. You say, oh, oh no, I, because, because the devil lies and says, how can you be have, feeling that temptation? You can never draw near to God with that temptation. You believe that, you move away from God. The issue is, is that God knows you're under temptation and what you need right now is him. 
What you don't need is to fall into the lie of thinking that it's sin, because it's not sin, it's a temptation to sin. Okay, and even when you've sinned, who you need is God. Okay? He's the one that you need. So you got so here you see Jesus saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try and figure this thing out. So many Christians. They're around when things are going fine, then they disappear, and when they come back three months later, oh I had where you been? I had a hard time. Okay, so what's the logic there? Withdraw from fellowship, withdraw from God, because I've got to figure this thing out. You are isolated in that situation. You're going to get picked off. No, Father, I'm going to keep Jesus's. I'm going to, I've got to do business with the Father, but I want you guys close. Stay with me. Okay? That's, there's a wonderful key there. When you're in temptation, you want people around, people that are close enough to hear what you're saying to God. People that, you want people around you, but then you've still got to do business with God. Father. And you've got to say, Father, and you've got to be bold, and you've got to know, I am a child of God. And even though I'm experiencing this horrible thing, and my, I'm, I'm ashamed and I'm horrified at myself, that this desire is in me, and it's really, really strong. And I never thought I was, you know when you let yourself down? I never thought I'd be tempted by that. I never thought that thing, you know, these, and you can, you're so horrified by yourself, you can think God will never really love me. No, you're just in temptation, and it's, it's not uncommon. All of us have experienced that. It's called being, it's called being an, uh, part of humanity before we're glorified. Okay, you've got to be able to say, this is, okay. If anyone says he doesn't have sin, he's a liar, the Bible says. We have indwelling sin, which means that we are, which means there's something in us that, that is a, a, a welcome receptor to the external temptation. Something in me says, yes, please. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm a pastor. I've been a born-again Christian 27 years. When, sin, when temptation comes my way, something in me says, yes, please. You have to be able to, that biblical understanding of what humanity is. If you can't say that about yourself, you're, you're, you're not living in the truth. So you're going to get caught out. You have to, you have to be able to just be honest, which is, which is the next thing. You see Jesus' father, so he knows I'm a, I'm a child of God. God hasn't deserted me. God hasn't left me. I am still beloved son of God. You've got to be able to say that, God, I know who I am in you in this moment. I refuse to suddenly adopt a new understanding of who I am, hated by God, deserted by God, forsaken by God, forgotten by God. No. Deeply loved by God. Chosen by God before the foundation of the earth. Adopted by God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. So I keep coming back to that. Father. Then the next thing. He says, if you're willing to remove this cup from me, honesty. I don't, your plan for me, Father, I don't currently want. Able to say that to God? Honesty. I know he, Jesus knew what the plan was. He predicted about the cross and the resurrection. He knew the plan of God. He knew this was the will of God. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, I want something else. I don't want this. Really important. Bottom line honesty with God. I said it to God. I said, I said, Lord, I don't want that. I just don't want it. See, what a lot of Christians do is they, 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 they jump straight to triumphalism. They jumped straight to the kind of thing, you know, the kind of. It's like, what are you doing? Like, it's just unreal. It's nonsense. It's, it's just. God will lead us into triumph. We'll get there. You've got to start by just saying, Lord, this is horrible. This is really horrible. And I never thought it was going to be like this. If you can't do that, 
You're going to need to learn to because God, God deals with truthfulness and honesty. I think God is sick and tired of people that call themselves Christians but are just not honest. Sick and tired. How can you have a relationship with someone who's not honest? When we're teaching our kids about lying, we've always said to them, please don't lie because we really want to build a relationship with you. And if you, if you get into the habit of lying, we, just, we don't know who, who you are, we don't know who we've got anymore. So please, we want, we want your honesty, even if it's hard to hear, because then we can have a relationship. You have to be honest. So important. You say, God, I'm struggling with what's going on. Okay. Next step. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, I am willing. Here we go. This is it, right? You, you with me? This is massive. Nevertheless, I'm not going to push my will. This is what I want, but I know it's different from what you want in this situation. So I'm not going to push my will. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take my hands off the will. Okay. This is real. This is real stuff. This isn't. Let's have a nice sermon, go home and carry on. This is, this is in the trenches. Okay? You say, I submit. And not only that, not just not my will be done, yours be done. I embrace your will. That's faith. That's faith. That's you saying, I trust you know better than me. That's massive. It's absolutely huge. I trust this road that you have got me on is going to lead to the place of joy and fruitfulness. I trust it. I trust that's the road to celebration, not this escape route. It's fascinating. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 has been such a huge scripture for me. It says, it says, you know, when you're tested beyond, you'll never be tested beyond what you can bear. Praise God. But God will give you an escape. That sounds great. But the verse doesn't end there. God will give you an escape that you might endure it. Hold on a minute. Do you know what endure means? Endure means bear under. So God's, God's escape does not enable you to escape situation the escape is is the grace that he gives you it's an escape from falling into the sin and actually enables you to stand under it it's to, that that is what god gives you to get through see it's not just oh god you, you said you'd give me an escape yeah if you read read the scripture read what it says <laughs> don't don't half dangerous things half verses um or half sentences with the temptation he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to say, I'm still here and I'm still standing strong and I'm still standing righteous and we're getting, we're getting through to the place God wants. Embracing the Father's will. I tell you, it's, it's faith because faith is, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. So he's saying, Lord, I can't see how this is going to be the best route, but I'm, I'm going to, be, I'm going to tr- trust you with conviction. 
it's so powerful, folks. Now, this isn't every day of the Christian life. That would be too intense. We'd get exhausted. But there are those moments that come, and if no one's told you about them, and if you've not been equipped for them, you'll be disorientated by them, and you'll, you'll freak out. These moments do come. Thank God they don't come often. We can decrease the amount of times they come if we take seriously the Lord's Prayer, which teaches us to pray what? Leave me not into temptation. Okay? So we don't, this isn't something you should be kind of, you know, but there are moments that come under the providence and the permission of God where you go, oh, this is hot. <laughs> wow. I wasn't expecting this. Satan can be involved. The world is involved. Our own flesh is. There's different, there's different combinations. <laughs> Forces gather against us, including our own selves. But I want to just draw your attention to a couple of things before we come in and conclude. First is this, is that an angel comes and helps him. He's strengthened by an angel. We don't talk loads about angels, do we? We don't talk loads about them. The Bible doesn't talk loads about them, but it does talk about them. So it's probably wise to talk about them, but not loads. Uh, it's a little uh, hermeneutical principle for you there. Um, it keeps you from a lot of trouble. Like some people spend their whole life talking about things the Bible talks about once. So, talk about it once. Um, or twice. Um, you get the drift. But angel, the Bible says that angels are sent to serve us. They're sent to serve us. They're sent to serve those who inherit salvation. The first couple of chapters of Hebrews will give you probably more teaching on angels than you'll get most other places. They are, they are sent to serve us and help us and to strengthen us. Praise God. We don't pray to angels, but it's appropriate to pray to God to ask for angelic help. Okay, that's good. It's a healthy thing to do. So pray for the Holy Spirit in situations. Pray God send angels, send warriors. That, that's appropriate to do that. Okay? So there's, there is help to strengthen us in the midst of the battle. Do you believe it? You've got to believe it in the moment. Because in those moments, our own natural strength falls, doesn't it? And suddenly we realise what weaklings we are. And when you have that experience, you suddenly realise, I'm not sufficient. It's a bit like, it's a bit like you know, King Saul. He was head, physically head and, soldiers, head and shoulders above uh, everyone else in the nation. He was a very impressive man. And then suddenly, so he's probably, I don't know, who knows what, maybe, I don't know, six foot, six, seven foot, who knows. Suddenly Goliath comes along who's ten foot. And this kind of, it's like an, an, an illustration of the powerlessness of natural impressive strength in the face of demonic opposition. You can be impressive and you can be canny and you can be resourceful and you can be intelligent and you can be all those things. But suddenly when you're in the thick of this, none of those things are really going to be enough. But there is strength from above that you find in your weakness. In your weakness, my strength is perfected, Jesus says. In your weakness, you find a strength that comes from heaven that will get you through. So there's, so there's strength from heaven, but also I would point your attention to the fact that for Jesus there was agony. I think the fair implication is to say that for us there will be effort and some sweat. And, the, and this is where the kind of let go and let God theology crumbles. because It's not biblical. Okay, It's not a biblical idea. Much effort is required in the Holy Spirit. Not in the flesh, in the Holy Spirit. But there are moments where you're, where you're saying, Lord, give me strength. And, 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 but everything in me is engaged with looking to you instead of following this thing, this temptation. I'm gathering my resources, Lord. I'm looking to you for strength, but I'm in it. Thank God it, these 
seasons don't come often. But, but no, no, and the idea isn't to put fear in you, it's to prepare you and equip you. And I tell you, if God allows it to come under his providence, he will give you all you need to come through it victoriously. Absolutely. No question. Okay? But it does require effort. I want to be honest with you. So praise Praise Jesus for the fruit of his obedience. The fruit of his obedience is our eternal life. What is the fruit of our obedience? What is the fruit of us resisting temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit? What can, what, what, what's the, is there any difference between kind of resisting temptation or, or not, or falling under it? Yeah, there is a real difference in consequences. Not in terms of whether or not you're still saved or whether or not you're still loved by God. But there are differences. Like if you, by God's grace, find the power to overcome temptation, God will be glorified by your life instead of blasphemed. You see, if you're a professing Christian and yet you get caught with your hand in the till, or your laptop gets taken away and all sorts of stuff's found on it, or whatever then what it does is it reflects on God. People come to the conclusions, well, their God can't be much, can't, be, can't really give them power to be different because they're just like everyone else. See, so God's name is dragged in the dirt. He's blasphemed because you profess him, do you follow Christ, but then you're just like everyone else. So but God, if you, when, when you come through by the grace of God, God is glorified because people go, wow, like, you had a massive opportunity to just kind of take advantage there, but you, you were really different. Why is that? And you can say, oh, it's Jesus made a change in my life. People go, I want to find out about Jesus. See it? So God is glorified instead of blasphemed. Secondly, there's a joy and a peace that comes where you just, not, not in terms of a self-righteous kind of thing, but you just go, God, I'm really, I just feel really glad that like, that season came and, and you pulled me through and, and hallelujah that... I'm not now clearing up a load of muck. Do you know what I mean? Like, hallelujah. Lord, thank you. I'm not now in a situation where I'm having to sort out the consequences of my sin. Because consequences of sin are real, right? It's just real. If, um, no, the, the private sin is actually a, 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 a false idea. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. It always, always impacts some or the other. You can enjoy a clean conscience. Because every time we get into stuff we know we shouldn't, our conscience gets defiled, you know? It's just horrible. I, I don't think you can put a price on a clear conscience. I think you can put a price on going, putting your head on the pillow at night and just knowing that the, the record's straight. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, you're not, you're not going to be able to 101 skeletons in your cupboard. It's really precious. That's really precious. Um, and certain promises from God are Conditional. So abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. It's a conditional promise. Do this and then... And so as you learn to abide in him and find strength in him, you can be more and more confident God's going to fulfill that promise. Whereas you keep kind of just falling away and falling under sin, you find that your confidence gets eroded internally and you, you, you find that you become quite spiritually kind of insecure and spiritually kind of... Um, lots and lots of unnecessary struggles. And so really just how do we apply this? How do we end? So apply this... I want to just urge us, let's, can we be real with God? He knows what's going on anyway. <laughs> you know? He knows what he sees right to the depths of what's going on. So we can tell him, can't we, because of that. We can be honest with God. We can be real with God. Um, also, I want to say this. Can we be real with appropriate others? Here's my question. Who have you got in your life? Who have you got in your life that you can talk to on that level? Who? 
Because if there's no one, you're vulnerable. You're, you're genuinely vulnerable. If there's no one you can say, if there's no one you can get the do- dirty laundry out and say, look, this is really what's going on. It's not, it's not. This is why we do running partners and gospel communities at the church and, 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 and why we just encourage just genuine fellowship. Obviously, you know, you don't want to be the person that tells everyone you meet your worst sins and temptations. It's not a good way of making friends and finding your way into the church healthily. Don't, I'm not encouraging that at all. Um, yeah, don't do that. That wouldn't work. Um, but as relationships develop and trust grows, it's like, be honest with everyone, but discern levels of disclosure. Does that make sense? So we're trying to be honest with everyone, you know, but I, did, I would have an inner circle of people that, you know, I would have, I have God, God's got his own absolute unique place of just like, you haven't got to even worry about how you phrase it, do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, because sometimes the next circle, you can love them so much that you just think of it a little bit, how you phrase it, you know. But then there's the next circle of, you know, I don't know what it is, two or three, you know, where you're just like, you, you, know, you, you know where to go. You know where to go. And you know they love you. You know they're gentle and they're truthful. Those, th- those two things there, gentleness and truthfulness, th- those are the keys. That's what you're looking for. Because when you're in a bit of trouble, you don't just want truth. <laughs> you don't. Neither do you just want gentleness. You want the two together. And then, and then you want probably a slightly wider circle than that of people that you just got, you know, just good level relationship with. But this is important. It's fascinating that we're told, and I think it's one of the other accounts, Matthew or Mark, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. So there's the 12, but there's the three. And they got a bit more, a bit more insight. And I think there's it's a, a wisdom there. GC, gospel community, is like a 12, you know, running partners, like a two or three. Whether you've got that official name or not, but to have that, that principle in your life is ever so important. Ever so important. Um, because, you know, the bottom line is this. God's plan for us is to be victorious in Christ. God's plan for us is to learn increasingly how to fight the good fight and win through. And so we can testify of, you know, really hand on heart of that, 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 you know, God's teaching us victory. That's his plan for us. Um, and, uh, and God understands our vulnerabilities. You know, I just feel like just maybe the Lord just wants to... You know, he's very gentle, God. He's very gentle. Um, he understands. You know, the Bible says that because Jesus is our great high priest. He's touched. He's actually touched by our struggles because he recognizes them. You know that? It's not just like, oh, yeah, he recognizes them because he's God and God knows everything. No, no, no. He recognizes them because he's been through it. He's actually experienced it. Isn't that amazing? One before you intercedes for the Father in heaven who's been through it. He knows it. And so God comes with gentleness to, 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 to help us through. Um, uh, just, there's a word of knowledge that I thought God gave me in praise, but I'm human, so I've forgotten it. <laughs> I thought there was a song that came. Kate, what, what, was you, what, what did you say or sing? Kate Papworth, what did you say or sing? Sorry, you're having a bit of a moment, aren't you? Yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry, life in colour. Yeah, go on, there was... Yes, thank you. Um, the shades of grey thing. 
I think there's God particularly really wants to minister to someone today. You've been deep in sexual dark. You're feeling filthy. It was a shade of grey thing triggered here. Um, I thought about Holy Spirit moment. I thought there's someone here you need to know. There's cleansing for you in the blood of Jesus today. Right? And you say, how do you know? It's a gift of prophecy. And it's just because the Lord knows you're here. Right? And it's, it's not so you'd be amazed by me. It's so that you will know God is among us. God is here. He knows and he just wants to come alongside and really just clean you up and pull you out of that and give you a brand new start. Amen? Amen. But obviously there's, there's, there's many of us here that we've all come from all kinds of stuff and are still battling with all kinds of stuff. And the, you know, let's let the Lord continue to minister to us through the bread and the wine, praying for each other and the music. But I'm going to head back, hand back to Luke who's going to organise us. Is that okay? Thank you.